I'm Tanner Olson, and this is the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Here we talk about hope and heaviness, creating and continuing joy and sorrow, life and God, questions and answers, and everything in between. This is a podcast where you were invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually, to eventually keep going. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. I'm just happy to be here, and I'm just happy that you are here as well. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure to hit subscribe, and afterwards, if you like the episode, feel free to leave a rating and review. Today's guest is Tyson Matzenbacher. Tyson is an author and a musician. He's one of my favorite musicians. I listen to his album, Letters to Lost Loves, at least once a month. I first met Tyson back in 2018. He played a show while we were living in Austin, Texas, and my wife and I helped run his merch table. I went that night to hear him play his songs, but but left thinking about the stories that he told. He's an incredible storyteller. And recently, he released his first book, Where the Waves Turn Back, a 40-day pilgrimage along the California coast. It's a fantastic book, especially if you like memoirs. Following the death of his mother, Tyson retraces the journey of an 18th century priest. He walks from San Diego to San Francisco. It's a tale of one man's pilgrimage of healing and finding beauty and hope in tragedy. And I think you'll love it. As always, you'll be able to find the book in the show notes. But with that, here's my conversation with one of my favorite creators, Tyson Matzenbacher. Sweet man. Uh, well, Tyson, thanks for for being here and for being on the podcast. Uh, when when someone asks you what you do, like if you're at a party, like what do you tell them? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it depends on like how well I think the the person is like wants to talk about it because mm-hmm. it's a pretty complicated question. But um, the short answer is that I uh, am a writer, so I write books, and I well, one book. And then I uh, am a musician, so I write, make records and tour those. And then uh, there's a couple other like kind of side things I do, like I that I don't talk about a whole bunch, but I like score uh, like TV shows and uh, commercials and stuff like that too. So it's kind of like a mini armed creative uh, octopus, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's a, a very similar answer when i talk to other artists and creatives it's like well you might know me as this or like usually like i'm a musician but i also do this 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 and this and this so that Mm -hmm. i can really do the one thing that i love it's you can't just like no longer is it i'm just an author or i'm just a musician it's like i'm also this and this and this um I've been following your work for a few years now. Uh, my first introduction to you uh, was through your music. And like mm-hmm. I just told you before this, I've, I mean, I've, I've spent hours with you in the car. Um, I'm really, I'm a really bad backup singer for you. So I apologize for that. But uh, I've been listening to you for years. Uh, I've been enjoying your videos on on the internet, the the news stories videos. Those are, those are, I mean, COVID, you had a lot of fun there. Those are fun. Those are fun to watch. Yeah, those were, <laughs> those were, I, I just, I, I've been trying to figure out how to like, um, uh, to like make things that are interesting and fun without, like, I don't really want to do the internet thing of like, just like look the look at me thing on the internet. I was like, what can I do? That's 
that Phil Sponnen is actually interesting. And uh, so yeah, I started making those songs about the news and a lot of those people like love people like those sometimes like better than anything else. They're just like, this is my favorite thing you've made. <laughs> which is, which is the, which is the nice compliment, but it's like, that's not, that's not the thing I want to be known for. I don't know. Maybe you do, but yeah. Totally. I, my, so one thing that people might know me from is a couple of years ago, I had a, a tweet go viral about a cinnamon roll in which I called a lady a monster for throwing away the center of a cinnamon roll. And so now uh -huh. when I go do events, people are like, this is the cinnamon roll tweet guy. It's like, no, no, like, yeah, that's no, I, you yeah. know, I'm this, I'm this, but like for you, that's like one of those things was like, Hey, this is what I do. Uh, and then also one of my other favorite things that you've done is you had something called bird school, which you mm -hmm. just talked about a lot of birds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like that one was actually, I just was on a run and I like saw, I live kind of by the beach and I was on this run and I saw these like sandpipers uh -huh. and, and I was like, man, birds are so, it was just this weird epiphany. And I was like, birds are so awesome. Like they just like, just these little like, these little like mice that fly around in the in the yeah. air. It's, I, it's like those moments where like something's reframed for you. You're like, wow, birds are amazing. And then <laughs> I was like, I was like, I wish I knew more about birds. And I was like, somebody should like teach bird school. And I was like, that's gonna be me. <laughs> this, this is what you think, <laughs> Professor Monsenbacher. Um, yeah. But the reason that I'm having you on the podcast, I mean, the bird school is cool. The news thing's awesome. Music is wonderful. But you wrote a book. Uh, it yeah. just came out. I'm not sure when I'm releasing this podcast. I'm hopefully hopefully releasing it soon to kind of go along with uh the launch of the book but you recently just came up with your first book titled where the waves turn back a 40-day mm -hmm. pilgrimage along the california coast so first of all congratulations uh second of all what's the book about man i mean i'm halfway through but like for those who are listening yeah what's the book thanks so much uh yeah the, the book is something i've been working on for um about five years and the short of it the way i've been explaining it to people is that um there are these, you know, various pilgrimage roads uh, around the world that people take. Like, probably the most famous one is the El Camino de Santiago, the Camino de Santiago, which is in Spain. And um, you know, people go and walk that, and they go all the way to the. I think it goes actually all the way through Portugal to the Atlantic Ocean. And um, also, if you hear a noise, it's because I'm literally right now I am in a hotel underneath the Manhattan Bridge. So there's like trains coming and going. <laughs> so it's it's a great place to be recording a podcast. <laughs> Um, there's also uh, a road in California that the Franciscans built um, a long time ago, like during the conquistadors and when the Spanish were colonizing California and it's called uh, the El Camino Real. And it's, uh, it was it's the, called the King's Road. And it, it's, um, it's one of these things that was like very, it was the first road built like kind of on the West coast, as far as like what we would know of as being roads now. And, um, there's most of it is gone. Like they don't exactly know where it went for a lot of different places, like through LA, for instance, they don't really know where it was. And it, it originally went, um, well up past San Francisco and actually all the way to Mexico city. Um, or I think there may be a different town near Mexico city. Um, but through California, it's this thing that I, that I've ever since I've lived there, I've seen all these signs and there's these bells that mark the way. Um, these are kind of brass bells on the side of the road. And, um, the, as I kind of looked into it, it's the, the, all of the missions, the Franciscan missions, which are the oldest buildings in California, um, that like kind of still remain, they're all 20 miles from each other, which is one day's walk. And, um, so in 2013, I, my, um, my mother, who was kind of my hero and, and, and pretty much every way she was like my, uh, 
most importantly, she was my spiritual hero. Like she was someone that um, I think like she like was waiting in the deep waters of God, like, like someone that, that really understood, like she sort of seemed to have this kind of like special perspective on, on the divine and like uh, the, the relationship that like Jesus played in her life. And, and, and she was really an anchoring force for me in that. And it was in some ways, like I didn't really have to think about it that much because she was just this all encompassing, like orbital force of, of mm. spirituality in my life. And um, she got cancer and she was sick for a few years. And then eventually it, it got really bad. And she, um, she told me, she like pulled me into her room when she was really sick. And she said, um, she said, she was like, Tyson, you're really bad at feeling sad. And uh, when I'm gone, I want you to do something irresponsible. Uh, this is like actually what she said. It was like the worst motherly advice ever. She's like, I want you to do something <laughs> irresponsible. And then while you're doing that irresponsible thing, I want you to think about why you're sad that I'm gone. And, uh, I said, I was like, well, what kind of irresponsible thing? And she was like, I don't know. You do irresponsible stuff all the time. Just pick something. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting at my computer and, um, I'd known about this road, the El Camino Real. And, um, I have, a, I have a friend who lives in Oakland and he, uh, which is just across the bay there from San Francisco. And he put this thing up on Facebook. He was like, Hey, does anybody want to walk into the city with me? Which means like, do you want to walk over to the like transit and take the train into the city or whatever? Mm. And I was like, that was just the thing. That was the, that was the trigger. I was like, that's, that's it. I'm going to walk to San Francisco on this pilgrims road. But instead of doing it from Oakland, I'm going to do it from San Diego, which is um, like, that's where I live. And it's almost, it's the route that I took is somewhere in the 600 to 700 mile range, mm -hmm. um, which is a lot farther than taking the transit. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I just, I just Google maps it and I was like, Oh, okay. It doesn't seem like it's that long. Oh, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like the way that I the, like, cause you can drive it a lot shorter than that, but um, yeah. I kind of followed uh, a very long way because the, the fact of the matter is that like nowadays, most of it is, the majority of it is uh, like freeways, you know, it's the, it's the interstate five, which is like the, the West coast arterial and the mm -hmm. 101. And um, so it's like not really places you can walk super easily. So I was kind of trying to follow essentially what I ended up doing at the end was I kind of just followed the beach, which was more or less what the spirit of that road was, you know, it was going up the coast to the port cities and the missions. Um, and I did that and it took me exactly 40 days, which was uh, not planned, which is a very sort of uh, poetic number. Yeah. And um, it was a terrible place to walk. It's I'm, I'm actually like kind of I'm laughing a lot on this podcast or the, not this podcast, but this uh, this book tour that I'm on right now. It's why I'm in New York. But um, I'm playing these songs and doing readings like in these kind of punk rock clubs, these like little these like kind of small punk clubs. And it just feels so poetic because it's like I'm reading in a place where nobody should read. And, uh, and all the walk is that I'm I'm walking in places that like nobody should walk. It's like not designed mm -hmm. for that. It's designed for cars and stuff. Um, so that's the gist of the story. And um, there's lots of colorful characters that live along the freeways in California. And, um, you know, I got to see a lot of the missions and reflect on California history and the ways that we've changed as, as a society and the way that I've changed and trying to build something that was, um, that was new without my mom. And then also like trying to find something that was 
that was beautiful and worth living for uh, in the wake of, of you know loss and mm-hmm. tragedy. So that's what the book's about. It's a very it's a very good book. It's a very honest and vulnerable, I think, gift to to your readers and to your fans and to your followers and, and to your family as well. And what a what a beautiful gift your mom kind of gave you by saying, "Go do this. Go do something." Mm-hmm. Go do something irresponsible, and it's it's a fun little look. And as I'm reading it, it's it's kind of this invitation that I get to to kind of lean into the heavy, into the the sadness, and and the things that we have going on in our hearts and our minds. Uh, and you tell it in such a beautiful way. Like as I'm reading it, I feel like I'm I'm walking there with you, and you you paint such a a beautiful picture of of what's happening and and the places and the people. Uh, and then the questions that you ask in the book or the things that you be, you think about uh, really invite the reader to do the same thing as well. So tell me about tell me about writing the book. Uh, were you writing it as you were walking or was it all years later? Like, like when, when, when did you when did you do this walk? When did this all take place? So my mom passed away in 2013 and then it was like a week later was her memorial service. Okay. I think so. She passed away the day after her birthday in October. And then there was a, that was like a Monday or Tuesday. And then Saturday was the memorial. And then I flew home on Sunday and then Monday morning, I walked out the front door of my house. So it was all within kind of like a week, a uh, week and a half that it, it, everything happened. Um, and then I, on the, on the walk, it's like, you know, the, the, my, the missions are 20 miles from each other, but um, especially towards the end, I was doing like, um, you know, at the beginning, my like my knees blew out because I like hadn't prepared for it at all, and then yeah. um, I had to stop a lot. And then as I as I kind of went along, it um, I got pretty strong, and I would do like you know sometimes I would do like up to thirty miles a day. But the, even doing that, there's a, you have a lot of time. Everything's really slow, and and that you need mm-hmm. breaks and stuff. Like your feet hurt. Right, my feet would like kill me, and so I would find these little cafes or coffee shops or just like a park bench, and I would I had this little. Uh, like moleskin notebook and i would just write in there every day and um that the the walk itself was kind of like i one of the one of the things that i was wrestling with a lot was this um i can be like a pretty obsessive person and i would i had spent years being obsessed with like trying to make a career for myself like trying to figure out how to make music uh, vocationally and um also, I was also I was avoiding the trouble at home, meaning just my mom being sick, and I was kind of thinking like, oh, she'll like. There was this thing where I was like, maybe she'll just get better, and I won't have to deal with, you know, like I don't have to think about it. Like maybe she'll just get better. And I realized sort of like the towards the end of that, those years of her being sick was, um, the like kind of the finality of life, you know, like the way that things, the way that things end, and the way that that. Um, you just don't ha- have that much time really. And I, I think, uh, um, I was dealing with that a lot on the walk too, is this, this feeling of like, I'd kind of quit music and I decided that this was going to be my, my kind of like turning of the chapter of my life. It was going to be like, whatever was before was before and whatever was after was after. And I don't know if I'll ever play the guitar again. I don't know if I'll ever write another song again. I just need to like take some time to just like live exactly in the moment that I'm in. Um, because I had missed some important moments with my mom by being so obsessed with things that weren't really very important. And so, um, 
I had no idea that what I was doing was going to become a book later. It just, uh, it just was really important that I do that every day. And it ended up being kind of the, the genesis for the book. That's when I was writing it, I would just go to a coffee shop and I'd sit down and I'd read that date because I would write an entry every day. And that's actually how the book's laid out. Um, like okay, there's almost, yeah. it's just about 40 chapters. I think like it's more or less a chapter a day. And, um, those are all based around my journals. And so I would sit down and I would read the journal. And then what I would do is I would go to, go to Google maps and I would like grab the little yellow guy yeah, <laughs> and I would drop him like wherever I was. And then I would like, just click along the r- route and I would walk my, I would like rewalk it every day. So I would like sit down and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And I remember that. And, I, and you can like go back in time too. You know, you can like mm-hmm. go back to like the, whatever the closest time the little Google car drove by. And some of it was really close. And so, cause the businesses change and trees get mm-hmm. cut down and stuff. And I could kind of go back in time and relive it and, and then I would just write the chapter and, um, and then I, I wrote it and it actually didn't take very long to get my first draft. And then I ended up rewriting it for like five years and that's why it took mm. so long. So, yeah, I was going to say that the, the writing process of something, cause you only get to really tell the story one time. I think yeah. that's, I think that's kind of the, the, the weight that I feel when I, when I write something is like, you only get one chance to really tell this story that you're going to package into a book. And so for you with something so, so special, so, so vulnerable, it's like, well, I want it to be near perfect for when mm-hmm. I hit submit and send. Um, and as far as I can tell so far, like I, I I'm tracking with the story, I'm keeping up with it. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm nodding along. Um, mm-hmm. like the, the words that you're, you've put down in this book, I think they resonate obviously deeply with you, but they're resonating more with, with people as well. Like the things that you're saying, like they, they track, they keep in step mm-hmm. with, with the lives of other people too, which is, which is a, which is, I guess that's a big, a backhanded way of saying, Tyson, you're a really good writer, you know? Oh, thank <laughs> but, you. I appreciate uh, that. Who has, who has uh, influenced your writing style? Um, That's a great question. When I was, books have always been really important to me like arguably more important to me than music has been um mm-hmm. when i was a when i was a kid uh my dad was a my dad worked in the schools he was a teacher and he was a, a principal and eventually he was a superintendent and my parents are kind of like i talk about in the book of it but they're kind of like they're very adventurous people and they're um kind of like they're not a very like sedentary they were never very sedentary. So we, we would move a lot. So we would kind of, you know, we'd be in a place for a few years and then we kind of pick up and move to another place. And, um, the, that always happened in the summer cause my dad was a teacher. So we'd pick up and leave in, uh, you know, in like early June or something. And then I would have these months where I would be, uh, in a new town and I wouldn't have started school. So I didn't know anybody. And so it was a lot of these kind of like lonely summers of not, not knowing any, but not having any friends and, and, um, being in a new place and, and those were, I just remember vividly, like going to the, my mom would take me to the library and we would just pick out tons of books and I would just crush whole, whole series, you know, I, like of these, especially the kind of children's books, like the, the Hardy boys and the boxcar mm-hmm. children. And then like a lot, a ton of fantasy stuff. And, um, obviously like J.R.R. Token and, uh, C.S. Lewis. And, and then, uh, later on it was, um, one of my biggest heroes for sure uh, is Steinbeck. And, and that was, I, I got into him after I moved to California and the way that he writes about the way that he writes about place. Um, the thing I love about him so much is that he, he, uh, he can, he can develop a location as a character in a book. Um, 
And that was something that I wanted to try to emulate in this is like, you know, because there's not that many characters in this book. It's kind of just me walking down the street. And I wanted to make California a character. Like I wanted to make that a person that you could learn. Um, at least this is the, you know, California is a million different places, but uh, like kind of develop, like develop it as it went along and try to show people why I, why I have such a, a love affair with it. Obviously like, it's a complicated place and there's a lot of things to not love about it, but um, there's a romance and kind of a deep history and a, there's something really magical about it. And I wanted to develop that. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, those are a few, I also like studied writing in college and, and was introduced to a lot of really great writing from some really lovely professors and stuff too. So books have always been incredibly important to me. Do you have a, a favorite Steinbeck book? Yeah, the one I read, like, the one I read a lot, I mean, East of Eden, I think, might be the greatest book ever written. Um, at least, like, from the perspective of someone that is coming at the world from a a place of faith, I think it's, like, hard to beat. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I lo- my favorite is probably Cannery Row. And I love Cannery Row so much because, you know, the, the opening paragraph of that is, like, uh, Cannery Row in Monterey in California is it and then he lists off what it is it's like a quality of light and it's a it's it's just this incredible introduction to a place and and those are always my like I I think like as someone maybe I have an overactive imagination but being pulled into a place like that it it just is something that is pretty transcendent for me it's like man I'm, I'm I'm there and I can smell it and I can see it and I can feel it and and uh there's these characters that are so colorful and so broken and then also so so beautiful you know that that book particularly is about a bunch of like uh like kind of drifters like hobos and rail riders and stuff that live in this this abandoned warehouse and um and they're best friends with this uh doctor who's a Hmm. he's a marine biologist named doc and they're such unlikely friends and they love him and he loves them and and uh it's this sense of like uh I guess like I, I get this like wistful feeling, this kind of like this longing for a place that can be that beautiful. You know, it's like there's something about writing where the brokenness in it is so important and it actually makes the world more beautiful that we can like overcome those brokennesses as 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 individuals and as being people that are being in community with one another. And, and um, that book I come back to a lot. I'll probably read that book every couple of years. It's really short and it just makes me so happy. Yeah. I uh, last summer I read Tortilla Flat by yeah, and it was it was a good one. Actually, I didn't. I shouldn't say I read it. I listened to it while I was while I was driving. It's basically the same thing, right? Um, it's great. The way that he talks about California, the way that he talks about uh, the places that he's in, it, it's very reminiscent to to how what you were saying about how in your book California is this character as well. Mm-hmm. And it and I I pick up on that as I read and some of the stories that you tell in this book and they're hilarious they're wild and part of the time mm-hmm. like I'm reading I'm like this definitely happened but there's no way this this happened right uh, do yeah. you have like do you have like one favorite story from the book that you would want to share uh, at, at the San Francisco show I read the story about the um about the guy on the beach that in santa barbara who taught me it told me he basically i'm recounting the story of <laughs> these elementary school kids being brought on a whale watching trip and it's just an insane story and the gist of it is that this cap this whale watch, watching captain like wants to 
wants to give back to the community. So he like invites the, all the kids from the middle school or from the elementary school, I think, or the middle school, one of the two to go out on his, on his whale watching boat. And, um, and then he gets out there and this like humpback whale is pushing her calf up against the boat and, and then some orca whales show up and it's this incredible thing because orcas never come down into California. Really they you know, they stay in the Northwest and in Alaska and stuff. And the, the, it turns out the mom is trying to like protect the calf from these orcas. And then the orcas like jump over the mother orca and eat the baby in front of these kids. And like they, the, <laughs> the baby orca, so the baby, like the baby humpback, it's just this bloodbath. And the kids all, <laughs> the kids all have this traumatic experience. And then it, and then the way the guy told me the story was that it actually changes the whole city because the, the school district has to pay for, therapy for the kids now because they saw this horrific event and then all the people of santa barbara get mad because they have they don't want their taxpayer dollars to go to therapy for middle school you know for elementary school kids yeah. and it's it's just these little these little moments when you're when you're walking along where you get a glimpse into these you know these little communities that are so it's just that for me i love that story so much just because it was absurd it's like an insane story and it's so terrible and just really funny to me just the the pieces of it and it really does give you a glimpse into like this town which is a really rich it's a really like wealthy place um that's kind of in turmoil with itself because there's like really progressive people and there's really conservative folks in there you know they don't they don't want to they don't really get along very well and (laughs) it just i was like man i feel like i understand this town better because of this this you know this little story yeah exactly (laughs) i loved that one I I was reading that I think the other morning and I was just I was just straight up giggling to myself. Uh I didn't <laughs> I didn't think the book was gonna be as funny as it is. I think that's what might surprise a couple of people is like you got these a couple of lines here and there that just uh you were talking about I was reading the chapter last night and you were talking about uh you're talking about prayer and mm-hmm. The way that you, I wish that I had it all pulled up and I could be very professional as a podcaster and say, Tyson, you said this on page, whatever, but the way that you spoke (laughs) about, about prayer and light and darkness, you were talking about, um, how y'all had lived in Haiti as a family Mm -hmm. and there they understood the darkness. They understood the dark and in America, they pray on Sunday mornings that there wouldn't be any rain because they're having a potluck. And I think the way that you described potluck is a potluck is when you bring a bunch of green uh, bean casseroles to a field. And I lost it. I, I grew up going to a church where there's potlucks. I worked at churches where there are potlucks. And then that sentence, I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, the book does just this really great job. And I said this already, and I'm going to say it again, but it, it, it draws people in. And I think even though you're walking this trip alone, in some ways you're reminding a lot of people that they're not alone mm-hmm. with with your words. And having come out of such a unfortunate season in your life and then stepping into one of uncertainty and unknown, you do a really great job of reminding people that there is that there is hope and that there are some good things still in the world. Um what would you say to somebody who wants to take a trip like, like this? I said at the, when I was in San Diego, I said that the walk was the most important thing I ever did in my life. And <laughs> my wife was there and she's still <laughs> mad at me about that. She was like, what? Like, what about me? And I'm like, oh yeah, you're the most important thing too. It's just different. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, to, to your point about being alone, I think that there's this there's this really desperate, like lonely place when you go through something, um, which is inevitable for all of us. Like there, like there's this thing in, I wrote in the book. That's like the one thing we all have in common is that it hurts all the way down. You know, like we're falling through space and we just are banging against the walls that all of us are, you know, we're getting stuck through this tunnel. And I think that when you're in the, the middle of that, there's this thing of feeling like it's only happening to you. And like, uh, I, I've been telling this story on the tour about my, I was reading the catcher in the rye when I was in high school and, and, um, and my mom was watching me read it. And she said, she was like, what she asked me, uh, why Holden was so mad, why he was so mad. Um, and you know, the catcher in the rye is about this kid who runs away from home and everybody's, he's walking around and he's mad at everybody. And as a high school kid, I was like, he's mad because everybody sucks. Like, Everybody, you know, Holden says like there's all these lousy people. He calls them lousy, which I just think is so funny. And uh, I was like, I mean, my my response was like because they are like like he's he he's because as a teenager, you know, you, you are in this alienated position of like being misunderstood and uh, feeling at least feeling that way. And I was like, I think he's mad because everybody sucks so much. And and she said, I think he's mad because because his brother died which in the book is something he sort of mentions like offhanded here and there. And he's carrying his brother's catcher's met with him everywhere he goes. And she said, I think he's mad because all these people are allowed to live in a world where his brother isn't allowed to live. And that's why he's mad at them is that it's unfair. And, and I, I think about that a lot because when I started this walk, I felt that way. Like I was really mad at everybody, like all these people that were just having a nice life. Uh, you know, this, this, you know, this sort of like, it seems that way at least like these people are having their nice time and they're driving in their cars and they don't care about me for sure. And they don't have any troubles or whatever. And as the walk went along, you know, you kind of are, you kind of pushed up against those, those people's lives. And you realize that like, not only are they oblivious to you, but you're oblivious to them. And, and, uh, there's there's a word for it. It's this word called sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, which means like th it's the realization that everyone is living as comple complex and human of an existence as you are. And I think that when you're going through something like that, to to like allow yourself to bump up against other people and to like let like allow, allow them to see your suffering and then allow yourself to see theirs, um, that I think is like one of the one of the the sort of most efficient ways out of that like tragic loneliness of me of like loss you know yeah yeah that's good i had some uh some friends after college they uh traveled around the united states in a van you know like they they did the whole van life thing and there was a moment where i almost hopped in the van with them and went and i always i, I sometimes wonder what life would have looked like had i just gone on that adventure and and soaked in all the the scenes and the people and the places and uh, what would have come out of that. Um, but that didn't happen. Anyways, the book is great. I am excited to share the book with a lot of people. Uh, I've been passing it along to friends and I've got a bunch of friends who are reading it left and right. Uh, to close out the podcast, I want to play a little game. Um, don't worry, you don't have awesome. to be. It's like there's no ball involved, so it's just a, a word game. Uh -huh. But the game yeah. is called uh, Finish the Sentence. And so I'll start the okay. sentence. You finish the sentence. 
and we see where it goes on from there. Okay. Love it. First one is Tyson. The perfect breakfast is. The perfect breakfast is at this cafe by my house called the Encinitas Cafe, and my wife goes and I go there every Sunday, and I get really crispy hash browns and mm-hmm. two eggs over medium and either sausage patties or bacon, depending on how I'm feeling, and then an English muffin with lots of butter on it, and then a black coffee, and I, that's my favorite breakfast. Do you have a, like a favorite kind of coffee? Well, I have this theory that's like, like my friend Aaron Redfield, who's the drummer and and this band that I'm in, he's, he said to me the other day, he goes, he said third wave is over, which I just thought was about, co- he was like drinking a really nice cup of coffee and he was like, third wave is over, <laughs> which is like, and I thought that was really funny because like my whole life, it's like there's good coffee and then there's bad coffee and then there's like occasionally a great coffee, which would be like a really nice coffee shop or something. And nowadays, I my my opinion on coffee is that um, is that there's a coffee for every circumstance. And this, like this morning, I I'm in New York and I had this beautiful beautiful coffee that was like eight dollars, and it was it was a great experience, you know. <laughs> yeah. But like if I'm if I'm like at a Waffle House mm. in uh you know in Athens, Georgia, I don't like if you gave me a nice coffee, I would be offended. I want like a terrible cup of like waffle house coffee and that's Mm. the perfect cup of coffee for that situation so i think like i'm more in the position that like a coffee should match its environment Mm. you know what i always knew i was going to get a poetic answer from you and that that one holds up (laughs) it's really good that's really good it's Um, way too much thought for that question (laughs) it was it was was perfect uh i can't disagree with you i can't uh like i am a big fan of waffle house and when i go there like i know the cup of coffee i'm gonna get is not gonna be the best cup of coffee i've ever i'm ever gonna have but i know it's gonna be the perfect cup of coffee for that space and that's what it's appropriate and i also just want to steal the mug every time i'm there just want to take it with me and go all right next one i would tell my eighth grade self that oh wow i would tell my eighth grade self that um it gets better every year i think Mm -hmm. i had one of my professors i'd also probably tell my eighth grade self like maybe i'd like to give that maybe like bring him a sports almanac you know like a like biff (laughs) um i i think uh i think i just have my whole life i've had this like uh this feeling that it's just you're on the precipice like i explained it some the other day feeling like uh, i've been walking down the street and there's been like pianos hanging from cranes uh my whole life and i'm just like waiting for the one of the pianos to fall on me like bugs bunny you know and uh and it's this feeling of like and maybe it's like even kind of like the western lie that like you're teenage years or your best years or whatever and and then you're in your teenage years and you're like this is pretty rough like i hope this isn't as good as it gets and my one of my professors in college who taught uh russian literature and he was like in his 70s and he told me he, he told me that it gets better every year and uh i didn't believe him at the time but it's that is true i think it, it just like your life gets richer and better and not to not to worry like you're not to feel like you're missing like I think, like I think, when you're young, especially, and you're not having a great time, you feel like you're missing out on something. And it's like you're not actually missing out on anything. You just need to be patient, and it'll be okay. That's probably what I'd tell myself. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I don't know much, but I know for certain that. Ooh, I don't know much, but I know for certain that. 
Um, oh, that one's hard. Uh, I think I, what I would say is I don't know much, but I am certain that I am wrong. Hmm. I think like uh, there is, I think it's important to like uh, to hold beliefs. I think like at the very end of all of this, you know, like when life is over or whatever, it's like, I, I think that it's important to like look around and try to like establish truth and to discover what's true, like in a capital T sense, like what's real and what's, what's fake and what's true and what's false. And I think that you can do that while maintaining the realization that like, you're going to be wrong and maybe you're going to be wrong a little bit, or maybe you're going to be really wrong, but like, you're going to be wrong. So I'm sure that I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, recently I've been writing about, and by recently, I mean the last 10 years of just yeah. the, fact, the fact that like, I don't know. Like, I I just don't. I don't know a lot about a lot of things. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a yeah. lot of half, half thought through opinions. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not somebody who's like, and here's what I know. Like, like I just, I don't know. But there's a lot of freedom yeah. in that. There's a lot of freedom in just kind of walking with your kind of hands up saying like, I don't, you know, I'm not too sure. I'm probably wrong about this, but I know for yeah. certain that like, uh, that, that I'm going to get a good cup of coffee when I go to New York city for $8. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah I uh, love that. All right. Next one is when I wake up tomorrow, I'll. When I wake up tomorrow, I will probably be really tired because I'm on East coast. I'm on West coast time and I will drive across the city to the Highline Hotel and have coffee with my friend Jonathan, who's also my book agent. And it's going to be a great day. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. All right. Last one. Where the Waves Turned Back by Tyson Motzenbacher is. Where the Waves Turned Back by Tyson Motzenbacher is the best thing, the best and first book Tyson Motzenbacher ever wrote. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's, a. my hope is that it is a story for everyone. Um, and that it's a call to, uh, like living life intentionally. Um, and, and, and like allowing grief to take you to a bigger and more beautiful place. Yeah. Since, since doing this walk and mm -hmm. through writing, through writing the book, and now that it's out there what has there been like a, a a change in you that you've noticed that's something that you can speak in or speak on because it's no like nothing in the book that you've written is easy and then releasing a book isn't easy mm -hmm. but when you look back is there something that sticks out you're like yeah this is definitely i'm different now or this has changed in me there's a thing at the, towards the end of the book, which, um, is me trying to ask that question, like, how am I different? And, uh, there's something that my mom said to me, which is, uh, that like our, the, one of the reasons why <laughs> she says it towards the beginning is that in our lives, the stories, stories end in the middle. Um, you know, like they, the, the the narratives don't line up the way that we know narratives to, to work and she's like that's why people look kind of confused all the time <laughs> which i thought was really <laughs> funny uh and um i think that what ends up happening is that we want these things to tie up nicely and um 
and they don't really like things thing like questions are like the questions that we most want answered are unanswerable uh, a lot of the time and um things aren't just and they don't tie up nicely and um i think that really what i've discovered is that um the, what the walk taught me and writing the book for that matter is is that uh i think that when you do something like that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily teach you anything it just teach it te it's if uh, it's what it teaches you is all of the all of the things that you have to learn next <laughs> it's like opening the door to a whole new set of processes um and for me there were there was a million things one of them was trying to figure out what god meant to me next and one of them was trying to figure out like um what the ways that i had failed as a son and as a friend and um the ways that i had prioritized my life backwards and it, it wasn't like i now had prioritized them correctly or now i was a good son and friend and any of that stuff it was just that i could see the ways that those things needed to change and i think that if you view these types of moments as like more of beginnings than endings hmm. it's really helpful it's like well what did what does this mean for ne next the next thing it's like well hopefully it means that you don't forget what you just did and that you can bring this into the future with you um so that's yeah i think that's my answer i like that well, Tyson, thank you uh, so much for joining the podcast. And uh, last thing, where can people find your work? Great question. Um, uh, all my stuff is on my website, uh, which is just tysonmotzenbacher.com, which is a lot of letters. Um, you can also just find me on Instagram uh, or Spotify or great places. Um, I have a mailing list that I love. So I send monthly emails out. Um, that's at my website as well. And yeah, any of any of those are great. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and good luck with the rest of the book tour and the release, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Before you move on to the next thing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you like, and check the show notes to grab a copy of Tyson's book where the waves turn back. Special thanks to my friend Matt Daring for creating the music for this podcast episode. Go ahead and visit writtentospeak.com to check out the latest blog, grab books, or to book me for an upcoming event. Or if you just want to send me a message, you can do so from writtentospeak.com. All right, that'll do it for this episode. I'll be back soon with another episode. Maybe a story, maybe a poem, maybe an interview. Who knows? But stick around. Something's coming soon. All right. Much love.